Good morning, Kingston. Good afternoon, Bratislava, and good evening, Tim Poo from Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss chaos in the global chip market and how Mozambique got back to drilling for natural gas. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? Very well, Ethan. How are you? How was your uh, How was your weekend? It was lovely. Thanks for asking. So, uh, first up today, we are talking about one of the world's largest companies, and a rather shockingly quarterly report. So, what's the story here? Yeah, it's not the normal story we cover on uh, Intrigue, is it? But uh, it is shocking to say the least, Ethan. Uh, and as a uh, as someone who runs a business, it's the kind of story that sends a bit of a chill down my spine. <laughs> Be brave, John. Be brave for us. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so this is the story uh, about the South Korean tech giant Samsung, which I am sure everybody has heard of. Um, and it shared its earnings report last week, uh, and it posted an operating profit of only around $480 million in the first quarter. I know what you're thinking. That sounds pretty good, right? Almost half a billion bucks in a quarter. Um, that's true, but the first company, uh, the company's first quarter profit, I should say, in 2022 was over $10.5 billion. So the $480 million figure this quarter is a 95% decrease from the first quarter last year and its lowest profit since 2009. You know, fluctuations are fairly common in business, of course, but I don't think I've ever heard of a fluctuation this big. Yeah, when you when you flagged this story a few days for, a few days ago for the team in our Slack channel, you wrote, uh, quoting here, how is this possible? With about four or five question marks, you seemed in utter disbelief. I sure was. In my head, I honestly thought it was a typo, but as per <laughs> usual, you guys, Team Intrigue was bang on the money. It was not It was not a mistake. Um, I think it's important to remember it's the 18th largest company on planet Earth. <laughs> and while most people will be familiar with their you know, smartphones and consumer electronics, it's also the world's second largest semiconductor chip maker, um, which you know, I don't know how many people would know that. Samsung products are really in everything. It's one of those indispensable companies that helps drive the global economy. Well, so then let's rewind for a second and try to answer that confounding question that you pose in the Slack <laughs> channel. So I'll turn it around on you, John. How is this possible? Well, it actually comes back to Samsung's semiconductor manufacturing arm, which was sort of to blame for the earnings report. Uh, in Q1 2022, so this time last year, that arm of the company posted a $6.3 billion profit. In the most recent quarter, it posted a $3 billion loss. So it's kind of had a $9 billion turnaround in in 12 months. So let's break that down. Why was business so good last year? Yeah, well, if you remember the early part of last year, there was this kind of frantic and, and, you know, not entirely unreasonable fear that the global supply of semiconductor chips, and here we're talking about the kind of workhorse of the economy kind of semiconductors, the chips in, in, you know, literally everything, as opposed to the super cutting edge chips for defense and advanced computing. So we're talking about the the, the workhorse of the economy, really. And, And even though we're talking about the less cutting edge chips, they're in everything. There were some real worries, I, w- I would say, that the supply chain wasn't keeping pace with global demand. That's why we had the boom in used car sales, you might remember, in the US. Um, new cars weren't being able to be built with these new, with like fresh chips uh, quickly enough. Um, and so if you remember your supply demand curve from university or high school, uh, that meant supply was low, demand was high, and prices were high. That was really good for business for chip manufacturers like Samsung. 
And and then what happened? Well, a couple of things. The first thing that's happened is that the pandemic has started to wind down. Um, you know, certainly not all of the labor shortages and transit disruptions have been alleviated, but I think we're in a much more normal place in 2023 than we were last year. Um, and there's a demand element here too, since inflation is forcing consumers to rebalance their budgets and and perhaps not make quite as many new purchases, you know, eke a little more life out of their cars, their iPhones, TVs, and, and everything else that has a chip inside of it. So back to that supply and demand uh, graph, we've now got arguably too much supply, too little demand, and therefore much lower profits for Samsung. I've got a friend, and, and they are probably listening and know who they are. That is on uh, an iPhone four right now. So uh, <laughs> that would that would seem to be the can case. They, can they listen to this on an iPhone four? That's a good question, uh, <laughs> uh, John. On top of all that, uh, we know that governments are, are rolling out all these subsidies, right, to attract semiconductor companies and help them build new manufacturing capacity. Is that a supply based? issue is are they worried about supply? Uh yeah, yes and no. I think this is where the distinction between cutting edge chips and everyday chips that I mentioned before. I think this is where it becomes important. So, from a government perspective, governments are more worried about the cutting edge chips. Right now they're only made in one place for all intents and purposes and that is Taiwan by the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company or TSMC as we we've said many times before. Um Governments are worried about the impact of a war in Taiwan, obviously, um, and what that would do to their ability to get their hands on those cutting-edge chips, which, as we said, are used in things like defense and, and advanced computing. So, you know, the US passed the Chips and Sciences Act last year, which pours more than $50 billion worth of subsidies into a, a US domestic semiconductor industry. South Korea and Taiwan have offered similar tax breaks. And earlier this month, actually, the EU approved a $47 billion subsidy plan to attract chip makers to the EU and make sure that they don't have uh, d- domestic chip uh, supply shortages. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It seems like the reason this supply-demand curve for chips is so messed up right now is because it's not, um, you know, old-fashioned, free-market, uh, Adam Smith economics. Adam Smith, the famous uh, Scottish economist, of course. That's not what's determining how to best allocate resources, right? It's, it's the government that's doing it. Yeah, for governments. Yeah, exactly. There's government intervention, right? Um, I, I think I saw one analyst write that the chip market is so wonky right now because semiconductors are all about geopolitics and not economics. Um, you know, even Warren Buffett, the the famous oracle of Omaha, who's who is uh, I think a little infamous for saying he doesn't pay attention to politics or geopolitics or trade numbers or anything like that. He just focuses on balance sheets when he when he invests in good companies. Um, well, his company Berkshire Hathaway recently got out of their investment in TSMC citing geopolitical concerns. So, you know, here's the modern embodiment of the invisible hand of Adam Smith Economics uh, saying that the market for semiconductors is beyond his ability to predict. Today's show is brought to you by The Daily Upside. The trends shaping the investment landscape are moving faster than ever before. Fortunately, we have The Daily Upside. This free newsletter is a veritable goldmine of deep insights on biased reporting and is packed with great analysis. It was founded by a team of Wall Street insiders, bankers, and scholars and delivers industry-level analysis with absolutely zero BS. So join 950,000 subscribers, including the team at International Intrigue, who trust The Daily Upside every day. 
Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're heading now to the beautiful Indian Ocean coast of Southeast Africa for this next one. Yes, indeed we are. And the news here is that the president of Mozambique announced last week that operations at a liquefied natural gas plant in the country's northernmost province, Cabo Delgado, uh, those operations will resume, which was which is almost exactly two years after attacks by ISIS-affiliated insurgents forced the LNG facility to shut down. It's big news for the project's investors, for obvious reasons, and those investors are from India and Japan and, and other places. Um, and its lead investor is actually France's Total Energy, which has a 26% stake in the $20 billion plant. And that's before we even get to Mozambique, which is one of the poorest countries in the world and stands to make quite a bit from this LNG project. Uh, and even more so now that natural gas has become such an important piece of the global energy puzzle, right? Yeah. I mean, a few questions from there, though. Uh Catch us up to speed. What what sparked this insurgency in the first place? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, it's it was a conflict that flew under the radar then, and I think still is flying under the radar. Um, you know, we talk more about extremist violence in maybe Somalia or or the Sahel uh, region, but this conflict in in Cabo Delgado in in northern Mozambique has been you know, unfortunately, very brutal as well. It started uh, a little over a decade ago when Islamists from around East Africa started to settle in the region um, and they were recruiting the disaffected and uh, underemployed young men from the region. You know, that's a pretty standard story about how these terrorist organisations kind of grow, right? Um, you know, Cabo Delgado is not only one of Mozambique's few majority Muslim regions, but it's also one of its poorest. So, the, the pitch is fairly effective when you think about it. Um, so by, t- by 2017, the Islamist group, which is called Al-Shabaab of Mozambique, they started waging a, uh, a brutal campaign and targeting local civilians. And for a while, they were really, really successful. Uh, Al-Shabaab-linked attacks killed more than uh, 1,300 civilians and displaced around 800,000 more between October 2017 and March 2021. And that is when this LNG project that we're talking about got put on pause because of the the violence and instability. So, well, so what turned what, what ultimately is, is is turning the tide here? Well, I think the Mozambique forces seem to have been uh, able to assert some control, even if they've been you know widely accused of serious abuse during their counteroffensives. Um, it's also been the support of other African militaries that has helped them quell the insurgency. I think you'll find this fascinating, Ethan, given your podcast on Friday, which was truly excellent, and everyone should go and listen to it straight after they finish listening to this one. Um, but Mozambique's primary benefactor, its closest and and maybe its most capable ally in, in the fight against the extremists, has been Rwanda, uh, which sent about a thousand very well-armed and well-trained soldiers to help. Um, these forces launched a counteroffensive in the second half of uh, 2021, and that helped suppress the most intense fighting. It's still ongoing, um, but the terror attacks have become far, far less frequent, and the business environment seems a little bit more stable. Wow. I mean, that, that point about Rwanda is fascinating and almost to a T what uh, one of my guests mentioned. So, but John, you mentioned uh, some other conflicts around the continent. What's the latest with those? Yeah, well, I guess we can start in Somalia, uh, where the armed group in question is called Al-Shabaab, but is not explicitly related to the Al-Shabaab in Mozambique. Um, that war has been ongoing since 2009 and doesn't look particularly close to ending. Um, the Somalian government and its allies started waging quite a successful offensive last August, 
Uh, but by late March, the U.S. estimated that uh, Al-Shabaab's territory has been reduced by more than a third. Uh, so, you know, I suppose that's good news, um, if not qualified good news. Um, elsewhere on the continent, in the Sahel, forces from Burkina Faso and Mali haven't fared particularly well. Um, they've been accused alongside their Russian partners of some truly horrific crimes against the civilians in the region. Um, but, you know, we, we could kind of go through all of these instances, but I think the bigger point here is, and I think the story of the Mozambique LNG project makes this very clear, is that economic development is almost impossible to do if you don't have security. Um, and on the other hand, security is really hard to do without economic development. So you have this real chicken and egg problem that I think is plaguing a lot of places in Africa. Um, it's not an easy problem for the continent to manage, um, but the lesson of Cabo Delgado, I, I suppose, is that it takes a village to solve it. Ah, it always does. Thanks, John. Thanks, Ethan. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. Foreign homebuyers in Singapore will now pay a 60% property tax rate, the highest in the world, after officials doubled the rate last week. Analysts say the rate raise will be a boon to property markets in other regional hubs like Hong Kong. Protesters outside the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region have ended their sit-in after more than four months. The protesters stalled most traffic into and out of the Armenian-controlled enclave, while Azerbaijan's government built a checkpoint. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, I'll admit it, I was a bit of a troublemaker during my grade school days, but I can't ever claim to have pulled a stunt as brazen as some kids in the UK did earlier this month. Check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see what they did. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Wednesday.